Welcome to the Grow the Game podcast, hosted by your own Corbin King and Peyton Mattingly. Today we are thrilled to be joined by head men's basketball coach at Appalachian State University, Dustin Kearns. Coach Kearns started out his career as a manager at Clemson and has traveled through many different schools and is now the head basketball coach at Appalachian State. Coach Kearns, we're very excited to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You guys? Doing well, doing well. So kind of talk about your coaching career, how you got into coaching, um, you know, to where you are now, starting from your early days. Well, I don't know if any of us ever want to, you know, almost choose to get into coaching. I think we all play at some point, and then we all, you know, at some point it the ball stops bouncing for all of us, and sometimes that's unfortunately sooner than others. So I um, I did love basketball, and I wanted to be a part of it somehow, some way, and, and as a high school player, we went to team camp at Clemson. I'd never been to Clemson. Uh, they were recruiting one of my teammates. And I just kind of fell in love with the university. Uh, my high school coach uh, then called the, the staff down there and said, hey, I got a guy that, you know, played here. He wants to really get into coaching and love to work with the team. And so certainly went to Clemson and, and just had a great experience uh, with Larry Shiat and, and, and Matthew Driscoll, who's now the head coach at North Florida, and several other uh, coaches, not to leave out any, but I was able to do really a wide task of everything, um, you know, I- including towards my later years was, were, you know, was cutting up film and certainly you know, involved with some drills and things like that, but just tried to learn, you know, what kind of coaching is all about. I think that back then, if I went back, you know, we all view, I view coaching differently now than I did back then. Um, not to, you know, just to kind of speed through my my coaching history there. Um, first job at Tennessee Tech as the director of basketball relations with Mike Sutton. And I got that job because as, as, a, as, a, as an undergraduate student, I was going around working camps and I went to Kentucky camp a bunch. He ran the camps there. And then um, I, I, then I became a graduate assistant at Tennessee, um, went on to be an assistant at Wofford. Um, went out west to Santa Clara for six years, came back to be an associate coach at Wofford. From there, I got the head job at Presbyterian. And from there, I got the head job at Appalachian State. And so most importantly, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great people uh, and great coaches and, and really great players. And, you know, certainly none of us are in all this to, you know, by ourselves. But, um, you know, certainly it, uh, there's no crystal ball to kind of tell you your path. As, as as a lot of you guys and a lot of guys are getting ready to go through this, but um, certainly I think the most important thing is trying to surround yourself with good people. Yeah. So was it always the plan to be a head coach whenever you got into it? Well, I never wanted to be a head coach just to be a head coach. And, you know, I always say this to young coaches, if you can see yourself doing something else in life, do it. If you can't see yourself doing anything else in life, stick with coaching. Because this is a unique profession. It's a ultra competitive profession, which means the the amount of positions available stay the same, but there's no new schools popping up. Like, and so there's more and more people trying to get in. There may be a former player that just stopped playing in Europe that's trying to get in, a former NBA player, a manager, a co- uh, whatever it may be but the amount of spots stay the same. And so it's very, very competitive. 
And so once again, I really believe that if you can see yourself doing something else in life, do it. I could not see myself doing anything else in life. And so I stuck with this, but it is a true labor of love. And I want to share this because I think there's a little bit of a misconception of financials. I was a division one assistant for three years and I was 27 years old and I had been a GA and ops and a division one assistant at Wofford. And I'm not afraid to share this because it's, it's, it'll help somebody with a perspective, but I was 27 years old before I had full-time benefits and made more than $5,000. Now times have changed a little bit, but this is a true labor of love. I, I, I hear it all the time. Guys like, man, I, I you know, they expect to be making $50,000 at 23 years old and this have this big corner office and coaching division one basketball. That's not the reality of it. You got to start at the bottom and work your way up. And, and, and along the way, some guys decide they don't want, that's not for them, but like it's uh, it is a competitive profession and also a, a very labor of love. You talked about, you know, taking many jobs. You were a student assistant. You were a GA. You were director of operations, assistant coach, and now head coach. How did having that variety of job title really prepare you for a head coach? You got to see the entire program and what really goes on. Yeah, I think that that's a great question. I think that probably the most important job that I ever had coaching was a director of basketball operations. And so I recommend that versus a video or versus a, you know, whatever. And so I think that role prepared me for when I was a head coach. And so I know what that position went through. And I think that sometimes people that skip that quote step of not having that role, then they get in a quote position supervising that role. They don't understand what that role goes through because that role is 90% of the time you're depending on other people to help you with your job. You're depending on that hotel lady to have the keys ready. You're depending on the person to have the food ready. You're the person you're depending on that bus to be there when you told them to be there. And so it's a, it can be a very frustrating at times job. Um, but it was very, very beneficial. And also, not only that, when you're involved with every aspect of the program, whether it's an official visit, helping set up the hotel or the food, and being around the recruits or the basketball side of it. And so I think that it's a very, very beneficial position. And I think that was a really critical um, and valuable time in my coaching career. When did you start building your coaching philosophy for you to be prepared when you got a head coaching job? Yeah, I think that's another really good question. And so I really didn't start building that until – uh, my really early thirties. And to be quite transparent, me and my wife had had a child. And so when you have a child, you're up all night with feedings and things like there's only so much things you can do. And so when you're up all night, I would, I would really, that was the time I really started trying to put my philosophy on paper. And a lot of people tell you, Hey, you got to be a head coach. You got to have a book, right? You got to have a book and a not Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Here's what it helps you with. It helps you articulate and communicate your philosophy. When you do put it on paper, 
you really forces you to think about it. All right, what am I really going to look for in a coaching staff? Like, what's the profile I'm looking for? How am I really going to discipline this? What are really what I'm going to do in academics? What? How am I going to approach scheduling? And so when you get that interview, you've put it on paper, you've typed it out, like you've read it. And that helps you communicate it in the interview. Does a book help you get a job? Once again, I, I don't know if I have the answer to it other than that it helps you. It does help prepare you to articulate and communicate to an athletic director, to a college president, to maybe a committee, your philosophy. And so I guess it does help you because I don't think you can just go in there and kind of wing it. I think you've got to, to really, it, it really forces you to think about your philosophy, but like, when I was your all's age, I, I didn't have a philosophy. And guess what? That's okay, and you shouldn't. I was trying to figure out what coaching was. You know, I think sometimes we have this view of what we think coaching is, but the reality is this. And so I think that um, right now, if my advice to, to, to you guys is just keep a notebook. Take every note or, you know, and, and try to envision yourself going out in front of a group of people and see if you can organize and put them through a drill. You know, it's like, uh, hey, hey, Peyton, uh, I want you to run. Uh, what, what if Coach Acuff said, hey, Peyton, I want you to run so-and-so uh, -so passing drill today? Well, you know the drill, but can you communicate, all right, I need four guys in that corner, I need four guys in this corner. Hey, I need one basketball. All right, guys, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're like. Can you make the drill quick, efficient? And do they understand what you're talking about? And so that's why I highly, highly advise younger people work camps and coach a team. I don't care if it's eight-year-olds. I don't care if it's nine-year-olds. I don't care if it's 10-year-olds. I did that, and it really, really helped me. And, and I think that camp will reveal leaders. Who gets into it? Who is out there sweating and talking to the kids and learning their names? That's leadership. That's leadership. And if, if people that say they want to get into coaching, if they're not going to coach an eight, a nine-year-old team very seriously, then I don't know if they're cut out for it because it's leadership. And so I really, really think that that is very, very critical because it's going to help you. It's kind of kind of slow things down for you. You're teaching stations. You're trying to can like, can you do a good station at camp? Because if you can't do a good station and with nine-year-olds at camp, how are you going to put a group of college kids through it? And so, but the, the best experience is the best teacher is experience. And so having that experience at your camps or going to work other camps and getting practice with it and communication and organization, and, and I'm telling you, it's so beneficial. And I highly recommend it to anybody in coaching. Yes, me and Peyton, we had the opportunity to work many camps this summer. And we noticed the people that we made, the, the relationships that we got from that, is amazing. Can you talk about your own experience whenever you were working camps with the relationships that you have 
and maybe you still have some of those. Oh, absolutely. I, th I mean, I still have a, it's, it's amazing. The people that you meet during camps that are now high school coaches. Uh, now they've got a player that you we're trying to recruit uh, or they're a fellow college coach. And now you can easily call that guy about maybe somebody in the portal. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's really unbelievable. And you make a, a great point. We just went to the Bahamas. Um, we, we, we went on a four, a summer tour with our team. There was another team down there. Uh, and they, they have a guy on staff that me and him, we talked about it down in the Bahamas in the hotel. We worked camp together 20 years ago. It's just amazing. And, and I can't tell you how many of those relationships, um, have still, you know, come back in the mix with whether it's just, um, whatever it may be in coaching. Hey, we need a place to practice. Hey, I worked camp with a guy. Let me call him. Because I think that everybody your all's age is going to hear, and I heard the same thing, right? You know, get a network. You got to, you know, you got to get a network, 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 network. I don't know if I, I don't think that's communicated the way it should be communicated. Okay. Yes, a network is important, but you have to build your network. It's not about knowing everybody in America. It's about having strong relationships. It's no different than one day when you're recruiting a student athlete. You might know who everybody in their camp is, the aunt, the uncle, the grandmother, the high school coach, the aid coach, but are your relationships with them strong? And if they're not strong, you're not getting them. It's no different than someone that in your age. Obviously, it's very important right now to meet camps and, and meet people, but build the network. Stay in touch with that person. Call them when you don't need something. Build that network because it's not going to do you any good to just know everybody in America. Quite frankly, the longer you're in coaching, the smaller your network gets. And so, um, like right now, and I, maybe this is a blind spot of mine or a weakness of mine. I don't, I don't know, right? But like when I was your all's age, I knew everybody. I knew all kinds of people. Now I don't know your all's generation like I should. Like I said, maybe that's a weakness, man. It's a blind spot of mine. But like just being a head coach, like if I need to hire an operations guy, a young energetic guy like yourself or a GA, I'm going to call certain people and ask for recommendations. But I don't know people your age, unfortunately. And I don't know if that's probably common, but I'm just saying, I'm speaking the truth. Like, but I still have the relationships at my age of people that I worked camp with 20 years ago. Absolutely. And it's amazing now when my staff brings up, hey, we, we coach this, this guy, this, this high school. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that guy. I worked camp with him 20 years ago. And, but, but once again, I haven't, it's not like I didn't talk to him since camp. I built those relationships and stayed in touch to have hopefully a true meaningful friendship in case that this moment came or they're sending me a text proactively. Hey man, I got a guy you need to recruit. He's really good because that relationship was built. Yeah. Building relationships has been a common thing we've heard over and over again. Um, and kind of, you know, the buzzword of, of networking. 
there's a difference between networking and building relationships. And I think you're right with the way it's communicated. And as you built relationships in your coaching career, obviously that led to you getting opportunities at uh, different schools. So can you kind of talk about uh, as you go into a new job or getting a new job, the interview process, and then your first few steps as you took that job? I'm talking about back then or now? Back then in your early coaching career. Yeah, listen, I think this is a word of mouth profession. It's a word of mouth profession. And so I don't know if I quote interviewed back in the day. I did interview for to get my first assistant job at Wofford, but I it was a word of mouth where Larry Scheidt contacted Mike Young and recommended me. And so I think this is a big word of mouth profession. And so what's going to separate you from someone else? And so I think that you've got to find a way to brand yourself. Okay. I don't know if I have the exact answer how to do that is what's the first thing people are going to say when they say your name. So if I call Lenny Acuff right now, what's he saying about, if I ask him about you, what's the first thing out of your mouth? Great person works his brains out. Heck of a coach, really good with technology. I don't know but he's going to say something. And so what's your brand? I didn't have a brand other than I just tried to outwork everybody. And I, I, I don't, I think that it kind of became my brand, you could say. And so like my inner, you're always, first of all, you're always interviewed. Always. And that's one thing people don't realize. You're always interviewing. You're interviewing right now. Right. And so like when I was a, a, at Clemson, I went to Kentucky's camp. I talked about that. Right. And I worked it a couple of times where they called me to come work it. And I share this example because it's really a, a, a life lesson. They were working out their players at 6 a.m. every morning. Kevin Eastman. I know you guys know that name. He was with Nike. He was working out Kentucky's players every morning at 6 a.m. Now, this was an overnight camp at Kentucky. I'm talking, you know, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. You're exhausted. Your feet hurt. We all been there, right? You're doing stations, your games. You're, it's, you're not eating. Like, it's, it's done, right? I got up every morning and went to those 6 a.m. workouts. I was trying to learn. I was trying to grow. I was trying to out separate myself. I was the only camp coach at those 6 a.m. workouts. At those workouts, there was one Kentucky assistant named Mike Sutton. And so there at 6 a.m. every morning, I got to spend time with him, taking notes, watching workouts, but also converse. So when Mike Sutton got the head job at Tennessee Tech, he called me to be his director of operations at 22 years old. I'm not saying it's because I got up at 6 a.m., but all I am saying is that time was important. And I, my mindset was, I'm going to be there. I'm going to outwork everybody. And I remember, it's weird how you remember stuff because uh, there's, there's so many plays, there's so many practices, there's so many hotels, there's so many memories, right, in coaching. But I remember sitting in that Kentucky dorm room 
at 21 years old, exhausted. Because then you wanted to stay out and socialize. So we would go down and hang out, you know, in the, in, in the dorm lobby and, you know, with other guys like yourself. And, and so you, you weren't going to bed at 10 o'clock, right? But I remember specifically one morning, like, exhausted. Man, I'm getting up at 5.30 again to take a shower and to go down there and walk over there to the, to the facility and watch Kentucky work out, and I've done it. But I remember, like, almost talking to myself. Like almost like not, you know, I think you can talk to yourself. You listen, it was almost like really talking to myself. I remember it's like, how bad do you want this, man? How bad do you want to coach college basketball? And I remember getting up and being there. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying like that's what got me the job. But I tried to brand myself. Maybe that was my brand. Hey man, this guy's this guy's relentless. This guy's trying to, this guy's everywhere. This guy's a junkie. I don't know, right? I think there's been people your all's age send out newsletters and emails with plays of the week. I think they're branding themselves. And guess what? I pay attention to that stuff because we all like that stuff, right? Whether it's what you're doing now with a podcast, you're branding yourself. You're meeting people like, hey, yeah, those guys do the podcast, man. I like those guys. I listen to that stuff. So you're actually kind of doing it, right? So what do you do to brand yourself? How do you separate yourself? What's the first thing that's going to come out of Lenny Acuff's voice? Kevin Carroll, Roger Eastrom, all right? All those guys. Um, what are they saying? That's what you got to kind of figure out and almost force it on them. Man, that guy's. Um, I'll tell you what, man, Corbin, nobody works harder than that guy. I'll tell you what, Peyton, man, that guy's, a, that guy's an unbelievable coach. He's, he's, I don't know, right? But I just think it's a word-of-mouth profession. It's a word-of-mouth deal. And um, if I've got to hire a strength coach, if i got to hire somebody, I'm going to hit some people up that I trust and value and say, hey, I need some names, and I'm going to look into them. And so I think this the word-of-mouth is a big deal. Yeah, so you talked about call-in and building a staff. So whenever you got a head coaching job at Presbyterian and where you're at now at App State, what do you look for when you're building a staff? Yeah, I I, um, I look for character. Um, I look for great people, okay? I just think you went with people, and I think that um, I want to be around people we I like people that I get along with and have fun with. I think that we spend a lot of time together. And I, and I really look for guys that are hungry and humble. I, I don't need someone that's going to bring me some zone defense or, hey, I'm, I'm going to you know deliver this player and all that stuff. Like, I want guys that are hungry and humble, guys that are ongoing learners, that are, that are, that are humble and uh, hungry. And then the last thing that I really look for is guys that have emotional intelligence. Like, do you get it? Everybody uses, uh, he gets it. Well, when, what people mean when they say he gets it is that he's got emotional intelligence, that he knows how to read a room, that he knows how to talk to people, that he knows how to talk to the players, that he knows when to give something to the head coach and when not to say something to the head coach. That's emotional intelligence. That's when he knows when he needs to take a player for a walk and when he doesn't need to take a player for the walk, like, or, or he needs to text a guy. Like, that's emotional intelligence. So character, hungry, humble, emotional intelligence. That's what I'm looking for. 
So going back to when you first got the job at Presbyterian and also now at Appalachian State, coming in right away and establishing your culture and your coaching philosophy, how did you kind of go about doing that? Well, I think you've got to know your situation, right? And so both those situations were different. And I think you've got to do a lot of listening. Uh, you've got to really identify like why it worked or why it didn't work and and assess the situation. I don't think that, I just think every situation is different. Every uh, school is different. I think you've got to adapt to, 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 to what works at that university as well in that athletic department. Like what's the athletic department's core values? And you've got to adapt to them. And, um, you know, we've got a sign in our locker room that says, um, we don't become you, you become us. It's no different than us coaches at universities. All right. They're, they're not going to become who we are. We've got to become who the university is in their athletic department, their core values. And so I just think that understanding that and um, understand what works, understand the proper communication amongst the department, amongst other coaches is, is really, really critical. And, and so I, I, long story short, I think it was different at both places. But also, I tried to really, really assess the situation. Once again, you might take over a situation that just went to the Sweet 16. Why, you got to understand why it works so well. Instead of just coming and implementing, there's a lot, maybe a lot of things you need to keep the same. Um, or the vice versa, take over a losing situation. Like, what do you need to flush out? Who do you need to flush out? Why do you need to flush it out? And so I just think that uh, you've got to do, at both places, I've done a lot of listening a lot of note taking and tried to really, you know, match, um, figure out, identify the common denominators of, 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 of what was not working or, or vice versa. So whenever you got your first head coaching job at Presbyterian, what's something that came with the job that might've surprised you? Yeah, I just think you all, you're always on, right? You always got to be on. I think that being a head coach is exhausting. And because you're you're walking across campus on the phone um, with your staff, with your team, every timeout, every pregame, every postgame, every radio, every uh, every interact, like you got to be on. And so being on all day, every day is exhausting. You go out to eat with your family and the community, you got to be on. Uh, you're representing the university, you're representing your program. You, you, you need to act the way you're asking your players to act. And so in order to do that, you got to be, you got to be on, you might see a, a former player or a donor or, or, or whoever it may be in the community. You've got to be able to be on and remember their names and talk to them and engage them. And so you just, and then being a head coach, like, you know, you've got sometimes two hour practices. Well, as an assistant, let's be honest, you can, there's, there can be a time where like, Hey, you know what? Coach has got this. I can just kind of go to the side here and take a, take a drill off, not as a head coach. You know, you can't take any drill off. Like, you got to be on all the time. And I think that's exhausting. And so, um, and then you've got to, but you also you got to be in the right frame of mind and right uh, health to be at your best and coach and practice and recruit. And so it can really, really wear you down. Because for someone like me, it just doesn't stop. Okay, I can't go home at night and be like, hey, all right, I just got home and I'm just going to take some time off from my kids and wife. I'm trying to be the best husband and the best dad I can be. I'm not trying to be in the coaching hall of fame. I'm trying to be in the dad hall of fame. 
And so like, you got to be on with your family too. Like that's not an off time. And so I think that, you know, like tonight, me and my family, we're going to a women's soccer game here at App State. I'm going to support our women's soccer team. We're going to have a good time. Let my kids watch some soccer. But there's going to be a lot of time during that soccer game. I got to be on. And I just think that it, it can overwhelm you and be exhausting. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a really good answer. And you talked about uh, being an assistant coach in that. How did being an assistant coach better serve you to be a head coach? Well, fortunately, I worked for some great people, right? You know, Kerry Keating, Mike Young, uh, Buzz Peterson, uh, Mike Sutton. And fortunately, I worked for some great people that had a lot of confidence in me and allowed me to grow as a coach. You know, I think that as an assistant, you've got to be great at weeding the garden. And, and what that is, is um, I think kids communicate less today. So you've got to be able to talk and relate with those players and help them understand what the head coach is really wanting and, and help them get through a tough practice or get some shots over. You got to weed the garden, right? You got to make your head coach look good. Okay. I think that also you've got to be, uh, you know, a great motivator, get players to do something that, you know, I think every player can't be coached the same. They're all different, right? It doesn't mean you don't uh, hold them to the same standard, right? Like you, the communication, you got to learn that player. And, and I think you got to be a very relationship driven. And so as an assistant coach, I tell you to be really relationship driven. So you could weed the garden that they were really bought into you and that they, they know that you're really trying to help them. Um, I think also as an assistant, I really was, I tried to be really good at attention to detail and whether it's in recruiting um, and then, you know, really just, keep with the same growth mindset, you know, uh, you got to have some thick skin. You got to be developed while developing. And you, you really got to understand as an assistant that you're an assistant and understanding your role, uh, just as you're trying to ask your players to understand their role in the team as an assistant, you've got to understand your role in the team and that um, you have a very, very critical and important role, but, but also you, you've got to understand You've built a great defensive team since you've been at App State. So how did you build that culture and identity from whenever you got the job till now? Yeah, I think that um, you are what you emphasize. Okay, and if you emphasize everything, you're emphasizing nothing. So as a coach, you've got to really, really, uh, you know, pick and choose what your identity wants to be. And when you talk about, cult, I just think the culture is the people in it. Right. And so you've got to get the right people and get them bought in and create buy-in of, of what you want. I just, me and my staff, which I've got a terrific staff uh, and, and we all have shared results. Okay. But I think that coming here to App State, it was, we had to create an identity with defense that we we're going to be out tough people. We're going to have this blue collar mindset. We're going to out tough you. We're going to outwork you. We're going to guard you. And, 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 and that had to be our identity to really have instant results. I didn't think we were going to be able to just go out there and outscore people. And so it's worked like we've been good defensively. Unfortunately, we still haven't been the best defensive team in this league. Um, but we've been one of the top, 
you know, few defensive teams in this league, and, and this league's tremendous. But I just think as a coach, you've got to go into it and say, hey, what's going to be our identity? What do I want to be about? And I think that kind of fits my personality as well, like a blue-collar mentality. We're going to roll our sleeves up. We're going to work, and we're going to be tough, and we're going to, out, we're going to guard you, and nothing's going to be easy on us type thing. Um, but every, that's the beauty. Everybody's different. Right. And I think that that's probably comes back to the biggest point of all is you got to be you. You got to be you and use different than me and, and I'm different. Than, and so that's the beauty of it. Uh, everybody has different philosophies. You just got to identify what your is, but you can't be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I think that's sometimes easy to do in coaching. And we do this, we do that, we do that, we do that. And when all of a sudden you got 12 defenses and your players aren't good at any of them. And, and, and that's something we tried to not be. Yeah. And you talk about, about buy-in and obviously when every player is bought in, special things happen. And so kind of talk about when you able to get to the NCAA tournament, winning the Sun Belt, and then going into the bubble, what worked that season and what was so special about that team? Well, I just think that, you know, I, I think what wins is always going to win. All right, and that is, that is a group of tough-minded people that are going to play together as a team and share the ball and move the ball and, and have a, you know, uh, having a basketball with no agenda is really hard to guard. And I think that, um, but at the end of the day, tough-minded people that uh, are about the team and surround themselves for the team is still going to win, no matter what level you're at. And just unselfish. I mean, you watch the Golden State Warriors, you and I just use them because they won the NBA championship. I mean, look, look how many, look how they share the ball. And so, like, it's just what wins is going to win. I just think, like, that team was really, really tough-minded. The COVID stuff really brought us together. We brought us through a lot of adversity. And through a lot of adversity, you can reveal character and you can you can really become closer. And, and I just think there was a true connection. There's a true man, I'm not in this gap defensively because Coach Kurtz told me, like, I'm here because I'm really helping my butt, my man out here. And I just think that that, that team had that. Um, certainly that doesn't always guarantee success and guarantee wins because it's really competitive and winning is hard. Um, but I really think that was a great team. I don't know if we had the best talent, but I think we had an unbelievable team. And I really think that this is a team sport. It always will be. And, um, yes, we're all trying to accumulate the best talent, but it's about the right talent that is going to surrender themselves for the team. From all the programs you've been at, how have you utilized your student managers? Oh, those guys are, you know, critical. And I think that, you know, for us, you know, they're in the office. Uh, they're helping with recruiting. They're helping with stats and practice, but also in, in they're, they're in a lot of drill work. And so they're very, very involved. Um, they're very appreciated. And I think that the you know, work that those guys do, it's, it's, it, they're appreciated. Um, I, from time to time, will we'll have our team clap for them and things like that. And, hey, let's recognize the, the, the work that they're doing, whether it's a guy up there filming for – three straight weeks, hey, let's stop and let's appreciate uh, the job that he's done for our program so we can have this to watch, so we can coach you better. Hey, let's think about that and appreciate that. And, and so 
they wear a lot of hats. They're very, very important and uh, very, very critical to our success. Yeah, Corbin and I, obviously being student assistants ourselves, have obviously gotten a lot out of it and have enjoyed the three years. And we know, you know, the work that it takes to takes to do it. And so, for you being a student assistant at Clemson, how does that still benefit you now as a head coach? What are you still taking away from that time? Yeah, I just think that at that age, I was I, I just appreciated how the coaches treated me. And, and really uh, took uh, care of me in the sense like they knew I wanted to coach and they really helped me grow and helped me learn some things. And so I try to do the same with those guys, whether it's pulling them in and, you know, it's guys that want to coach or whatever and help them, give them some advice that was given to me back in the day or just treat them the way that I was treated. And because at the end of the day, I was very, very fortunate to be at Clemson and and with those, that coaching staff and those people because they just they treated me the right way and they and uh, and so therefore it's 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 my duty to keep passing that torch on. Yeah, and obviously you've built and had a very successful career so far. You've reached you've reached your goal as a head coach, but how do you continue to to learn and get better as a coach? Well, I think that that's part of coaching. You know, I think that as a if you really really want to coach you never stop learning and there's always something to learn. There's always a way to grow. I mean, that's the beauty of it. When I was growing up, we didn't have YouTube. And I think that's a, a, a thing right now that for, for guys your age, like you can go on YouTube and you can learn about anything about basketball you want to learn. Before when I was growing up, you had to like watch VHS videotapes of clinics and take notes um, but now if you want to study a certain offense or you want to learn it during defense, just YouTube it. It's out there. And I just think that as a coach, I myself, whether I'm reading, whether I'm learning, I'm still doing that today. I'm trying to, you know, continue to learn, continue to get better and, you know, understand how I need to get better and understand that um, if I get better, that my assistants get better and, and, and challenge them to continue to be ongoing learners and, and then all of a sudden we all get, it's like, it's no different. You're asking your players to get in the gym and get extra shots up as a coach. I've got to continue to, to get extra reading and extra learning and extra film and to, to learn and grow. Well, coach Kearns, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you and, and learn from you today. Any last bits of advice to young aspiring coaches, basketball fans, or just anyone listening to the podcast? Yeah, I think that bloom where you're planning. Okay. Like as a, co as a, as a young coach, you're always thinking about what's next, right? You guys are probably thinking right now, like, Hey, where am I going to be a GA at? Or where am I going to be next? I want to be that. I want to be, I want a GPA for that guy. Right. You know what? Just bloom where you're planted right now. You've been planted at Lipscomb university with, with one of the best coaches in the country and, and a great coaching staff. So like just bloom where you're planted. And I think that the other thing that would, I would really say is, we're all replacements. We're all replacements. Um, make yourself irreplaceable. And if you can make yourself irreplaceable, you'll have longevity in coaching. And because someone's always going to try to keep you there, you know, like make it where Lydia Jacobs, like, Hey man, I, Corbin Payton, I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I'm going to my AD and I'm going to create GA spots for you because you're irreplaceable. 
And if that's the mindset, if that's the reputation, then you'll always have a job. Because at the end of the day, we're all replacements. And I think that every young coach has a period of ego trying to prove their worth. Well, I recruited this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I recruited him. Or, hey, hey, you know what? I had that scout. Yeah, 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 you know. And the quicker you can get over that mindset, the more quickly you'll move up, okay? And I think that some guys grow out of that, and I think some guys never do. And I think the guys that really grow out of that advance. Because at the end of the day, you're telling your players this is about the team is no different than a coach. It's about the team. We all get the recruit. We all lose the recruit. We all had the scout. We all, you know, like you got to all be invested as a team, as a unit. But there's some guys that just can't get over that ego trying to prove their worth. And at the end of the day, it's about what can you do to help your head coach be better and your program win? And if you do that, then you'll be fine. It doesn't matter about who recruited who and who didn't recruit who, this, that, and the other. And I think that, once again, I think that some guys get over that. Fortunately, I did. And some guys, it takes them a long time, and they don't advance as they as quickly as they may like. Um, and, 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 and so that would be my, my, my advice, is have a team, team, team mindset. And a non-ego. Uh, this is a big boy business. And this is a bottom line business. And I think that two plus two doesn't always equal four. And you've got to understand that. But bloom where you're planted. Be irreplaceable. Get over yourself. And be about the team. Coach Kearns, thank you so much for joining us today. And best of luck to you and Appalachian State basketball this year. Well, best of luck to you guys. I look forward to catching your game on TV or things like that. And I, I got great respect for uh, your all's program. And, and, and then also just what you guys are trying to do. You're trying to learn. You're trying to grow. You're trying to network. You've got the right mindset. Uh, just, just, you know, keep plugging, keep taking a day at a time. And don't get caught up in the comparison game. Right. Like, why is that guy a GA instead of me? Like, what did that just bloom where you're planted? And, you know, I, like you could go through and study all these head coaches in their past and they're all different. And the, but the common denominator may be is they bloom where they were planted. And when I was an associate coach at Wofford, I wasn't thinking about being a head coach other than I was trying to do whatever I could to help Wofford win. Wofford become this top 25 program in this mid-major power. And you know what? I was a small part of it, but we did it. And then an opportunity came to be a head coach, right? But if I would have spent half my time at Wofford trying to just become a head coach and do all this other stuff, I would have been helping Wofford and my head coach, Mike Young. But we all had the same mindset. We're all about the team, great staff. And now all those guys are doing great things. And I think when you can find that and you've got that sort of alignment and unity, special things can happen.
Yes, sir. That's golden. And thank you again so much. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Take care.